Welcome to Firefighting in Canada, the podcast, brought to you by Draeger. Draeger products protect, support, and save lives. Firefighting equipment you can trust. You've tuned in for compelling conversation on hot topics impacting Canada's fire service. I'm Hope BC Fire Chief Tom DeSorcy. Mark Healy is a forest protection technician currently acting as the uh, superintendent of uh, staff development uh, with the BC Wildland Service in uh, Kamloops, British Columbia. Uh, The BC Wildfire Service, uh, for those that may not be familiar across Canada, under the uh, Ministry of Forest, Lands and Natural Resource Operations. And uh, Mark's been with BC Wildfire since 1993. And uh, Mark was deployed to Australia during their recent bushfire crisis and again joins us from Kamloops, British Columbia. Mark, I appreciate you taking the time today. Yeah, no problem, Tom. Uh, Really looking forward to this. You and I, we've been around in the fire business for a number of years. It's amazing the changes I've seen, not only in the business, but in particular between the wild uh, and the structural fire service. Would you, would you agree? Uh, Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, it's really come a long way. And I think one of the biggest things is that, you know, we both realize that fires changed on the landscape and we have to react differently and do things differently. And and I think there's been a much more cooperative effort to, you know, work together in that wildland urban interface area. People don't realize it, but some of that wildland urban interface is like a park could be a park that's in the center of a city. Uh, Burns Bog is a great example, you know, in Vancouver. Um, here in Kamloops, we got uh, Kenneth Cartwright Park, which is actually the largest municipal park in I think it's in Western Canada Um, you know areas like that that people don't realize that you know if there's a fire in those places we work together to go fight fire there yeah there was there was a time and correct me if I'm wrong there was a time when the when the BC Forest Service as it were as it was then um, was not really in the fire business per se I mean there was this in need to basically look after the province's economy and protect the value of the timber that was in the forest that no municipal fire department was going to attend. Is, th- is that correct? Yeah, that's that's pretty true. Um, you know, we would help out on the on the edge, but our our main mandate was to protect you know the standing timber because that's where you know the crown would get their revenues from, and and that was our number one mandate was to to protect that revenue stream for government to you know pay for all the other things that we. Uh, you know, as taxpayers want to have. So yeah, that's, that was our mandate. You talked about, you talked about wildland urban interface and uh, I commented to you earlier that I'd never heard that term. And I think it was like a 2001 when that was kind of the term they were using. And it was, it was kind of new. And then it became for us in British Columbia came to the forefront, I think in what, 2003, when, when Kelowna suffered the devastation of the, of the wildfires that hit their city. Yeah, it definitely, you know, it, it had been bantered around, I think, around, like you said, around that 2000, 2001 time. And it really became prevalent after the Kelowna fires and people, you know, become more aware that the greatest impacts are on that wildland urban interface that affect the most people and structures and, you know, the, the, the parts of the province that people are most familiar with. You know, they're not always familiar with, you know, the, the 1800 other fires that we have in the backcountry that people never see or hear about. But as soon as you get a fire like Kelowna, the wildland urban interface becomes the forefront. It's it's all over the news and it's it hasn't really stopped since 2003, really. I tend to measure how long I've been in any industry, in particular the fire industry, for the longest. 
in terms of how much change I've seen. And I think probably the case for you, we've seen a lot of change in, in the last 25, 30 years being in this business. And I think more so for the far, Forest Service in terms of change, what was the tipping point uh, for that change? I mean, again, moving into the interface, I mean, you've had, what, 2003 Kelowna, uh, 2016, the Fort McMurray uh, wildfires, and again, in British Columbia, 2017, 2018. Were those the, did we change every time or we just uh, started to realize that change came uh, and we were just going to deal with it? For those that have been in the game as long as we have, um, we, we've seen it coming and we could tell that that was going to be the change for us. And it's not just in Western Canada, it's all across Canada, you know, places that people don't think about, even in the Maritimes, they have fires that are in the wildland urban interface, you know, that are creating them the biggest issues. And it's, it's you know, has to do with climate change, um, you know, more and more population moving into those rural areas. And, you know, people are spread into places that you would not believe, you know, uh, there's fishing resorts, um, hunting camps, um, small communities out, out, out there that a lot of people don't realize are there. And then, you know, you get a fire and it's like, wow, there's, uh, you know, there's 3000 people out on the landscape out here and, you know, they're being impacted. And it's something that for myself, I've seen it coming early on in my career and it's not going to go away either. It's, it's, if anything, it's going to become more and more prevalent right across Canada. Have we taken the, the right steps uh, back a number of years ago when, when things we, when we learned from 2003 <clears throat> locally that, that we had to make change? Did we, have we made the appropriate change or obviously we still have a ways to go? I think we have a little ways to go. Um, I'm also involved on a BC wildfire incident management team. That part of it has changed a lot because you're, you're dealing with way more jurisdictions um, involved in the fires. You know, you got municipal fire departments, parks, you know, both federal and provincial. Sometimes when you go out of province, there's municipal governments. So a town government or a county government and things like that also play a big impact on on who looks after what parts of a fire. And I wouldn't say it's uh, the change is finished and I don't know if it ever will be. I think there's always new um, things that come up working with First Nations. It's a whole dog's breakfast, I guess, would be a good way to put it. There's so many different facets out there that are changing on the landscape and the, the stakeholders out there and the partnerships that you have to have in order to be successful is uh, it's it's ever changing. Key key word is having partnerships. And you commented about going out of province, for example. I certainly take my hat off to the Forest Service in general for having that ability to to leave the province. I mean, smaller fire departments in smaller communities they have a real bad time with leaving their community, let alone traveling halfway around the world. And we're used to seeing, I guess, in the past couple of years, having wildfire crews from other countries, in particular Australia. You uh, did a tour, uh, if you will, of Australia. Uh, amazing. I, I'm interested. How did that all begin? What were the logistics around you attending and, and being part of that team that went from Canada? You know, obviously there was a an interest from Australia and they, they contacted CIFSI, which is the Canadian Interagency Forest Fire Fighting Centre you know, out of Winnipeg. Um, and they look after the 10 member, member agencies across Canada that do wildland fire. And, and they had a representative go down and they worked out the logistics and contract of how it would all work. And then uh, basically they, New South Wales, the um, state there, put in a request for um, certain positions. And then the request bounces back through CIFSI, through the member agencies, and 
BC being a member agency, had already put out a request uh, for people who would possibly be interested. And I'd thrown my name in the in the hat and and I as I do every year, and you never know if it's gonna happen or not. And funny story, but I was in Las Vegas um, on a holiday when I got a phone call to ask if I could go to Australia. And uh, it was due to get home on Sunday evening and I flew to Australia on Monday, uh, Monday night at midnight. So when you talk about logistics, it's just a matter of, you know, making the right phone calls and knowing the right people to talk to and filling out, honestly, a lot of paperwork to make things happen. Take, take us there for a minute now. So the trip itself, you're, uh, you're flying out of where to where and how long did it take? I left Kamloops at about 10 in the morning to Vancouver, um, waited around, had a briefing in Vancouver for a couple of hours. And then at midnight, just before midnight on Monday night, uh, got on an airplane for 15 and a half hours for direct flight from Vancouver to Sydney. That's a long flight, let me tell you. And arrive in Sydney, they put us up in a hotel for the night, get up the next morning, sort of quarter adjusted to the time change and day change after all that travel and uh, do a briefing. And then we uh, got on a bus back to the airport, got on an airplane, and I went to a little town called Glen Innes. So within about 72 hours, I went from holidaying in Las Vegas into uh, working with an incident management team in a little town called Glen Innes, uh, New South Wales in Australia. That, that's incredible. So what was the reception like? I mean, when you arrived or what were you expecting? I mean, you're, I, I, saw, I saw TV shots of everyone in uniform. So people uh, in the country knew that you were, you were from away, so to speak, and, uh, and uh, that you were coming to help. Uh, was that the reception when you got there? Yeah. You know, the, the Australian people were just amazing in the way they treated us. People in the street would just come up and talk to you and our accent kind of gave us away, I guess. But you know, in our uniforms and they would, they were so happy and thankful that we were there to help. And it was a warm reception all the way around. And the, and the treatment we got was incredible. You know, the Shane Fitzsimmons, who's the commissioner, uh, fire commissioner in New South Wales was there at our initial briefing, which, you know, I, I've been on several base changes, we call them around Canada and that, and, you know, it's not often that the, you know, the chief is the, is the person who comes and gives you part of your briefing. You know, usually it's given to somebody who's it's like it's the last minute thing. It's like, go give those people a briefing. And it was pretty amazing how well treated we got. It was just an incredible experience overall. What was your uh, what was your particular role uh, when you got there and did it change throughout? My role was the same throughout and I went down as a planning section chief. So it's my job to, you know, sort of help figure out, uh, you know, strategies and tactics for the for the multiple incidents that were going on, you know, trying to come up with uh, a plan of action every day and trying to think, you know, 72 hours ahead or so and trying to come up with the right resource to put out on the fires and, and also maintain your initial attack so that you could be ready for any new starts. And yeah, it was a, it was a very, it was a long deployment you know, I was there for 38 days and, but it was also very rewarding, you know, in the end, I think, I think the total number of fires that were on the landscape in the, in the area I was in was uh, 259 fires or something. And we, we managed to contain and put out 235 of them. So it was a, it was a rewarding time while I was there. Had you any pre-expectations? Were you surprised in fact uh, of the magnitude when you got there? Uh, yeah, the magnitude when I, I got there was was quite overwhelming and, and the total area of the landscape, it was incredible. You know, the, the small part that we were in, we looked after almost 700,000 hectares of fire on the, on the ground. 
Um, and we're in the north part of New South Wales. And of course, their fire season is very similar to how it is in most of Canada, where it starts in the north and spreads south. And while we were there, um, you know, the fire season did spread south and, and just the, the volume of fires, the numbers of fires was incredible. It was completely overwhelming to anybody who's been involved in fire. What were uh, what were some of the main challenges? Uh, were there some significant uh, concerns right off the bat, or was it seamless as far as the transition from being in the fire scene from BC from Canada into another into that country? I would say, you know, I've been telling everybody it was about seventy five percent seamless because they, like us, use the incident command system. So you know, you go in right away and you speak the same language and you can work well together because you know what everybody's role and and job is to do. Even though we both speak English, there's different terminology used and, and slang and stuff and uh, geographics. So some of that part was hard to learn. But for the most part, it was fairly seamless. And I would say 10, 10 days in or so, we were we were working side by side with the Australians. And, and it was like we had been there the whole time. So it was uh, it was a really, really well coordinated event. You know, there's that much fire in the landscape and, and across such a broad area. Um, of course, there's challenges, you know, with resourcing and, and having enough pe- people to do all the work. Um, but their system and the way they do it was simply amazing and how and how it's coordinated down there. So kudos to uh, New South Wales and the country of Australia for working together and working with us to do what we did down there. As their term is the bushfire crisis, uh, bushfires uh, are, I guess, a commonplace uh, in Australia. Uh, is there is there the risk, do you see, in your opinion, of it being as bad again next year? I don't think I see it being as bad again next year, and mostly, on, in all honesty, because most of it burnt this year. However, they, they have a fire-prone ecosystem, and some of the areas that had burned in the first two weeks that I was there, um, we drove through. And they were, it was already starting to grow back. Um, so the way their ecosystem works is that, that that bush will probably be ready to burn again. And you know what, what the locals were telling me, in, in three to five years, it will be ready to burn again. So the turnaround time for them, for their bushfires, is incredibly fast. You know, when we look at it here in North America, and there's a large fire goes through, we're, we're talking 60 or 70 years before you'll have another catastrophic event. But there... Probably in five years or less, you could potentially have a, a similar fire in some of those areas. So very, very different than here. What were the uh, what were the fuels? I mean, obviously the the uh, the forest fuels, if you will, were, are are different there than what we have here. Yeah. So there, there's a lot of eucalyptus, and there's uh, I think somebody told me at one point there's like 60 different species of eucalyptus, and that's the you know the main source. And just the way the tree grows and propagates is that it it grows back very quickly and the amount of brush on the ground that grows back after a wildfire and where I was we we're in the north half of the country and it's parts of it were actual rainforest like jungle rainforest that were catching on fire and you know there there's areas that were burning that they had never seen burn before and like they had a, a true drought like there's places that hadn't had a, a, a rainfall of greater than three hours in two years so the amount of rain that had actually hit the landscape was non-existent and and i think that also led to what their bushfire crisis became two years of sustained drought was incredible when you were there you were there over the uh, like our christmas holidays i guess were you were you there then yeah, I was there. I celebrated uh, my first Australian Christmas, and uh, it's different than 
at home. You know, there's no snow. Santa Claus looks uh, odd when he's uh, in shorts, but that's okay. Um, yeah, it was a very different experience. Are they, uh, you know, in terms of uh, what you left or when you left, what did you leave behind in terms of the conditions? Uh, obviously, the situation was more stable uh, when you uh, when you completed your tour. When we left where we were in Glen Innes, um, in the, up in that area, yeah, it was definitely more stable. However, down south, um, around Sydney and and down towards Batemans Bay and then into the state of Victoria and South Australia, that's, you know, in the southern part of the country, it had really started to take off. And there was some incredible fire behavior that people who had been in the business 30, 30 plus years in Australia had never seen before. And it was just incredible to watch. Uh, it's, it's something, you know, that I was, I feel I was lucky to experience so that, you know, I can take that experience and, and use it, you know, for myself in the future to, help understand fire and just increase that knowledge that's the that's the that's the the next question is what's what's one of some of the bigger takeaways from from this experience for you as i've learned is that you know when fires get get to be a certain size and they 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 have that mind of their own is people are our biggest value out there and and not to put our staff in in jeopardy and you know the australians did a really good job of that and you know they would you know you run fire behavior predictions and wind and fuels and topography align and it's going to be a bad day. You don't put people out there in the way. It's it's not worth anybody's life to save a few trees or or houses even. It's it's just let the fire do what it's going to do and make sure your people are safe and the general public is safe and, and do your best in that way. And and that was really emphasized down there. And um, it's something that I've always lived by and I believe very strongly that should continue and be a prominent part of our our role as as fire managers. What will uh, what will the country of Australia take away from this? Uh, will they will they see significant change in the way they do business as a result, or is it uh, just going to be status quo? I think they, there's going to be some changes. Um, I don't know what those will be. Um, I'm sure that they'll have uh, you know in the past they've had a royal commission, which is similar to what we had in BC here, where at the Abbott Chapman review happened. You know there will be some recommendations that come out of that report, and I'm sure they'll act upon them accordingly and become a better organization um, and stronger organization than, than uh, you know, before this bushfire crisis happened down there. I would think that that would be the same in British Columbia and the rest of Canada for those that were deployed that bring back that uh, extra knowledge, extra learning. I've always maintained that, you know, leaving your community for whatever reason, we've done it here now uh, several times in our community and it strengthens, I think, the members uh, in terms of how they take a look at what they do back home again. Oh, absolutely. You know, when I've worked with municipal fire departments that have come from all over BC, you know, in 2017 and 2018, the stuff that they get to pick up and learn and, and see and understand, you know, fighting fire in downtown Surrey is a lot different than fighting fire in Burns Lake. So, um, and it's, I think it's a real rewarding experience for people too. They, they see the other side and, you know, it's not the same day-to-day business and, you know, you stop learning, then, then perhaps you're, you're, you're going down the road of being unsafe. And, you know, if you can keep learning throughout your career, which I know that's one thing that I really emphasize with all my staff is that, you know, keep learning, keep trying to figure things out and understand, and, and you just become a, a way better firefighter. And I think that's what everybody's goal is really. So what was the firefighting force, I, I should ask, in, in Australia? Were you dealing with a lot of the structural uh, firefighters or volunteers, career staff? What uh, what kind of makeup was that? Uh, you you hit almost every nail on the head there. It, uh, yeah, it was a real mixture. Um, one of the biggest 
contingents they have is the Rural Fire Service, and it's a completely volunteer-based organization. So there's, they have, you know, there are some um, paid full-time staff, but um, out in the rural fire brigades, they're they're a completely volunteer organization. Um, there's no pay whatsoever, and and it's a real source of community pride that they go out and work hard on these fires. And you know, I also worked with national park staff um, who, you know. Really, the only time they fight fire is usually when they do prescribed burning and or when the bushfire season gets really bad. And, you know, for the most part, they're park wardens and stuff. But there was also, I worked with several municipal fire department personnel who were working in logistics and planning. And it was a real team effort. And I, I think that the way that they use the multifaceted organization is that was another key learnable that we can use here in BC where people understand the incident command system you can plug people in to do a job um, because you're already speaking the same language. So it works quite well. I'm guessing you've made some uh, lifelong friends out of this as well. Oh, absolutely. I'm in no rush to get on that 15 and a half hour flight back down there and back, but uh, I definitely will be making a, a trip or two down down under and uh, going to visit some friends that I definitely made. So yeah, it was uh, it was incredible. Mark Healy, I appreciate your time uh, today. Uh, a pleasure to talk to you and uh, and hear about your experiences. Uh, and certainly, we wish for a for a good wildfire season in Canada. It's uh, I, I guess I, I hate to use the term, but it's used more often than not. Is is the new normal? And I think uh, we obviously have to uh, have to be ready for that. Yeah. Thanks for uh, taking the time to speak to me today, Tom. Thanks, Mark. Thank you for joining Firefighting in Canada, the podcast, brought to you by Draeger. Draeger products protect, support, and save lives firefighting equipment you can trust. Visit firefightingincanada.com for more episodes.